Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film 500 Days of Summer. Uh, You don't have to have watched the film to enjoy the podcast, but please be aware that if you do listen to it, the plot of the film will be spoiled for you. Just a little bit. Enjoy. Hey man, you're right. Yes, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good evening. Yes, it is warm. Although it's yes, it is boiling hot today. It is our one day of summer in England, I think. <laughs> yes, instead of the 500 that we are about to talk about. <laughs> That's an excellent segue right there. Yeah. Oh no, you, you mean you didn't do that intentionally? I did not do that intentionally. No. But, you know, we're, we're on such an excellent level together that we just telepathically set each other up yep. for these kind of things. That's what happens, I think, when you get five seconds, five episodes even into a podcast, but also five seconds. You know, that's that's as long as it takes for us to just get on the level. Yes, when you're as charismatic and, yeah, in sync as us. As in sync uh, as us. <laughs> in sync as in sync. And. And sync, good times. I know it looks like I'm like I'm toasting the um, our fifth episode, but it's not champagne; it's prosecco. Claire got given a bottle of prosecco at work, so I'm just oh, very nice. drinking a little prosecco. Well, I will toast to that with a glass of orange juice that I have with me in a fancy in a, glass. Look at that! Yes, in a little in a little fancy coffee cup. I just took a screenshot of that, so um, I'm going to put that <laughs> gonna put that in the show notes. Excellent. I think people are always interested to see how people's podcasting setups look and that kind of thing. Yeah, so whilst I um, I have found my mic stand, for instance, but it is back at my parents' old house. So my podcasting setup is currently just me holding a condenser microphone. <laughs> no, it looks good. It looks it looks kind of badass, actually. Like it, it's just <laughs> a black block. Who knows what it could be that you're talking into? Just a very, very burnt piece of bread. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, it looks kind of secret agent-y. Oh. Like we're discussing very important business. Secret. What, top secret business. What would be your code name? Hmm. It would have to be a romantic code name, obviously, because we're talking secret romance business. Tom Hanks. All one word. <laughs> Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks. It reminds me of... Um, all this talk about, um, you know, Harry Styles has been back in the charts again with his debut solo album. Um, and there's also been a lot of chat about Pippa Middleton's wedding. And it has reminded me that a few years ago, when before Prince George was born, and we were talking about royal babies, we were talking about royal baby names. And you suggested that they should call the royal baby Harry Styles, or one word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I still stand by that. Yeah. What would your code name be? I don't know. Um, I think we need to follow in the old uh, movie movie thing, and I'd be Krusty Juggler. <laughs> with a K. All like one word. Krusty the Clown. Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, come in. This is Krusty Juggler. Receive. That's not what you say, is it? <laughs> Roger, Roger uh, that. 
we we'd have our own our own terminology because we've got our own secret spy agency so yep. we affiliate ourselves with the usual cb radio stuff definitely speaking of roger roger moore died a couple of days ago mm. r.i.p roger moore you know, I don't want to get into James Bond on here too much, but do you think we could get away with some Bond chat at some point? He's not exactly the I think most definitely romantic we, figure. We could definitely get away with Roger Moore Bond chat. Yeah. Because his movies were essentially just an international playboy inadvertently stopping masterminds from taking over the world whilst getting drunk and blowing stuff up. Yeah. There's a it's, bit of gun yeah. action in his, but there's no it's no Pierce Brosnan. No, my, my, my overriding memory of Roger Moore, though, is aside from Bond, is he's in a very, very bad action movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, called The Quest. Oh, really? And yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme is like this 1920s street rat from the streets of New York um, who inadvertently stows away on the ship of Roger Moore as he's going off to this prize fighter tournament in some mysterious island. And um, Jean-Claude Van Damme beats their boxer that they're going to enter into the tournament. And um, then they're like, oh, yes, well, we better put this guy in instead. Um, and then towards the end of the film, Roger Moore steals a gold statuette or something like that. And they're about to kill him because he's broken their laws. And um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's like, no, I will save him by beating everyone in this tournament. And it's, Sounds it's, quite it's, good. Yes, it's it's uh, you can't beat a good, terrible fighting tournament film. <laughs> I think it, it must include at least one montage. But I've not seen it in a few years. A training montage. Yeah, yeah. Everyone needs a training montage. Yeah, there's two good kind of montage in those kind of films. There's the training montage, and then there's the montage of all of the other fighters who haven't made it through. So, like, they show them just quickly getting beaten by the named fighters. Yeah. And, yeah, those are the two most excellent montages in action movies, I think. Someone must have made a film that's a sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but for all the fighters who get kicked in the montages... (laughs) If not, we should we should have that. I think I think we should. Or in that... terms of those those kind of meta um, meta versions of action films, um, Last Action Hero is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which I don't know if you've seen. I have, but not. I'm going to say not for at least fifteen years. I remember watching yeah. it at school. The the original script for it was very different from the final movie, and it was basically just about like the sheer sort of like center of one of those characters like Arnold Schwarzenegger's where they're he was basically just like a sociopath who only spoke in one-liners and killed everybody and like it sounded really funny and then they kind of morphed it into an eventual kind of lumbering mess of a film that was a huge flop in the end I think yeah Um, I've I've still got a piece in my heart of um for um for Last Action Hero, though, there's some there's some very funny moments in it, but it sounds like it could have been that much better. Yeah, that's a shame. And Arnie is like he's such a funny guy. That's the thing people think of yeah. him as as an action hero, but I think of him really primarily as a comedian. He's a very very funny man. Yeah, even in his action movies, um, he's he's very funny, and I, I I think he's just got that sheer charisma, and it's a quite a strange form of charisma as well because it's not tied at all to his kind of acting ability but he just kind of has such a huge presence in his mannerisms and things like that. So like in, in, in Terminator, for instance, he says hardly any lines of dialogue in the entire film, but he's the thing that you take away from that as being this unrelenting, quite scary force. And then like you compare that to something like kindergarten cop, for instance, mm-hmm. where yeah. it's a genuinely hilarious movie. And it's like, yeah, it's like, he's not the greatest actor in the world, but there's, there was something about him that made him a superstar. Yeah. And twins as well. I mean, that, that film is amazing. 
Definitely. That's a great pairing. Cool. So this episode, we're going to talk about 500 Days of Summer. It's your choice. Yes. I watched it last night. So it's yeah, fresh. I watched it earlier in the week, but um, yeah. I um, Yeah, I think this is, I mean, I remember going to see it in the cinema when it came out, 2009, I guess. Was it the tail end of 2009 or was it early on in the year? Because we both, we started our master's year in 2009. So if it was after September, it would have been in that, that academic year. But I'm trying to yeah, remember I th- and I can't really. I think it was in the, it was kind of just at the beginning of when we started our master's. Yeah. Sounds about right. Because I remember it vaguely influencing the stuff I was doing in screenwriting class and trying to write kind of sort of indie-ish romantic stuff and not really getting anywhere with it. Eventually, obviously, I wrote the script for a half-hour pilot of a sitcom in which two guys um, argue over how to get rid of a portrait of the elephant man that they've ended up with in their flat, which I hope (laughs) still gets made someday. Um, that that would be amazing. I'd love to see it. Yeah. So I think that was a that was an interesting time, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, um, because you know the iPhone was around, but not everyone had a smartphone at that point. So it's just sort of pre-smartphone, and all of the all of the romantic parts of it, all of the the dating and the courtship and all of the little dates and things that they go on, all feel very timeless in a way, or it could have been any any kind of romance film. Whereas now, I think if you try and make those films, it's really hard to avoid the technological aspect, as we talked about last week with You've Got Mail, actually. Yeah, it's got some of the... It's, it's got some of the same limitations of You've Got Mail in terms of the technological side, is that nowadays, sort of the way that their relationship operates might be slightly different, but, like, the core the core of like what romance is still remains, if you know what I mean, but in a, in a very different way to, to you've got mail. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, yeah. And he works for a greeting card company as well. And like, I'm not sure if that's a job that even still exists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, surely it's just all contract based work now yeah. for graphic designers. Gig that economy. kind of thing. It's yeah. um it's pre funky pigeon <clears throat> as well, so yeah. <laughs> the game changer of the industry. <laughs> hey, now that we've mentioned funky pigeon, do you think we can get them to sponsor this podcast? Yeah, I, th- I think we should open it up though and say funky pigeon and moon pig. Yeah, um, whichever one of you guys offers the most, we will accept. Yeah, so come on, get on it. Oh, you've got you've got to have <clears> them <throat> both come up with a new jingle, and whichever one is least irritating will be the one that wins the sponsorship. Yes. Yeah. Alternatively, we could write good jingles for them. This is true, and that could be another way that our business could operate together. I would actually love to write some jingles. I still, I still need to write our um, sensations theme music. Oh, the sensations next, music. My next kind of musical theme project. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to sensations in a little bit because our, our yeah, chat yeah. earlier had me an idea for the expanding the sensations cinematic universe. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll cover that. We'll get there. So, so going back to the old um, <clears throat> 500 Days of Summer, um, yeah, this that's one way in which this film would not happen today is that um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be working out of a dingy studio apartment, struggling to pay the bills, doing 10 cards a day, being asked 
ridiculous things from the uh, card making company and then being expected to do five of those cards for free yeah and he's living in los angeles so he'd probably be doing that and also working as an uber driver in the evenings and maybe some other gig economy stuff you know yeah. he wouldn't really have time to date i think no no he could he could meet someone who is giving an uber drive back home yeah um, and then there could be a whole subtext of is it appropriate for an uber driver to date someone that they've driven or is that kind of a customer relationship that shouldn't be yeah. stepped over well we we know how uber's higher-ups would handle that which is that they would not give a shit for anybody's welfare at all so that side of it would probably be totally yeah. fine they'd both be put into a bath of acid <laughs> for, the, for the good of tech startups everywhere and they'd have to pay for the privilege Yes. Remember that humanity is a bad thing as long as you can get a slightly cheaper fare when you need a cab. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that this film was made in 2010, sorry, 2009 um, and not now. Um, but it holds up well, I think, despite the, the intervening time. It's a very, very nice and enjoyable film. Um, did you enjoy watching it again? I did, yeah. Um, it's one of those movies that I feel very conflicted about because... Um, I think it's very clever and I, I like it a lot, but there's a few sort of like glaring flaws with it, which niggle me every single time I watch it. And the first thing that irritates me is when they say at the beginning, this is not a love story. Yes, it is. It's a love story. Yeah. Like it, 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 this is a romantic movie. If you gave it a genre, it would be a romantic movie on IMDb. It is a comedy drama romance. It is a love story. It doesn't matter that it's a love story that doesn't end with the two people getting together. It has all of the same highs and lows as your regular story. Exactly. A, ro- a love story or a romance, whatever you want to call it, it means the same thing. And like you know, we're not keen to get bogged down in any terminology or make any of those kind of distinctions. But yeah, that's, that's what a love story is. It doesn't actually matter whether they get together as long as there is... Um, romantic love expressed as long as it's a story of romantic love actually the ending could be one of two things they get together or they don't that's it but yeah the the voiceover which is a very good and enjoyable voiceover from the man yeah yeah definitely this is a this is a story of boy meets girl but this is not a love story and yeah that's actually the first note that i made was like well yes it is (laughs) So yeah, that's I, I feel exactly the same. It's a very, very enjoyable film, but there are things about it that niggle me, and every time I watch it, those things become, I think, a little bit more apparent, because I guess you're paying more attention, and the story is that bit more familiar, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right, in that you sort of, the, the first few times you watch this film, you're very captivated, because it does things in a very um, non-traditional way. Um, so the story itself is very different from what you'd normally get from this kind of film, Um, It's told completely out of chronological order. Um, People say things that you wouldn't expect from this kind of movie. People act in ways that you wouldn't expect from this kind of movie as well. Yeah. Um, So when you've kind of got used to all of those things, some of these issues with it do kind of crop up a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Although although it is non-linear and it uses the days as a device, I think quite well. Whereas you know, for, for you start on you know day five, and then suddenly it's day two hundred, and then it's day day forty or whatever, and it, eventually the whole thing kind of unravels. But it the narrative still manages to remain surprisingly linear. I think even though that device is employed, because all the key the key elements are like the fact that she ends up engaged to someone else. And his change in job and career 
and eventually finding someone else at the end, all those things still do happen in a linear sequence. So I think the 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 using use of the days as a framing device still helps, but it's not as um, perhaps as as big a deal to the story as as it is made out to be. And I think overall with this film, a lot of the the criticism and the reviews and the general reception is that oh, it's or people who really love it always say that it's like really really clever. And I think it is it is clever, but it's not as clever as it thinks it is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, and it's also worth remembering that it was kind of a game changer at the time as well. Um, so at the time, it, it was a clever film. Um, but since then, you've had other movies that have kind of tried to play around with these themes a little bit more. Um, so, for instance, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Love and Other Drugs. No, I haven't. Um, which is quite an interesting movie. Um, that's on the list right now. Yeah, it's, it's quite a good one, um, particularly in the way that, I mean, it kind of follows a traditional romantic movie pathway. But there's all these little elements in it um, that don't quite match up. In particular, there's the fact that they have a very sexual relationship, which isn't often shown in, in movies of that type. But that's yeah. the kind of thing that kind of not started with 500 Days of Summer, but popularised it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was definitely responsible for a bit of popularisation in that way and for moving um, sort of a... a, a um a narrowing of the gulf between um maybe indie romantic films so perhaps more towards the mumblecore end of the spectrum mm. um mm. to kind of just mainstream straightforward rom-coms because i think it pleased a lot of people who wouldn't normally go and see rom-coms or who would take the bridesmaids approach of being that oh chick flicks don't have to suck man and i think it, it actually did help to bring those kind of people together like i most people I know really, really liked it, especially people who probably would never watch romantic films and people I know who love romantic films liked it as well. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, so if we if we move on to um, talking about the performances a little bit, mm. um, I think that there's a really good balance with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. Um, particularly in that they're both very, very flawed characters and they sort of portray that quite well. Yeah, you you don't necessarily think that either of them is actually that great, especially him. Actually, there are times where he's really douchey, and especially like the the humor of it. This is one of the things that niggles me actually is that some of the humor that he exhibits is kind of lad humor, and mm. the um the you get the feeling that the screenwriter is is just slightly a little bit too the wrong side of the line of of lad humor and lad culture. It just sneaks in a little bit. Um, it, I don't think it crosses the line into outright misogyny, but it's like when um, she she, um, she's, she walks as soon as she walks past and goes, um, "Oh, I'm just going to the copy room. Do you guys need anything?" And he goes, "I think you know what I need," and that's just a bit like, mm, "No, we don't really act like that anymore. We're not 14." Yeah, I think it is quite interesting in that um, the way that he operates when he's around other men is very much like that. So he does that kind of vague move, kind of, I think, more of a sort of expectation of what you'd need to do to try and chat up a woman. Mm. Um, and sort of the way that, in particular, I, I did notice some of this sort of misogyny stuff going on, like just a little bit. And it was mainly in the kind of talk between him and the other member that were around him. So when he was talking with his friends and he was calling her a slut and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Whereas when he's on his own and when you get those kind of ideas of what he's like in, as an individual, you don't really get that kind of 
feeling, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way, actually, but I did note that down. And of course, that makes sense. That's kind of an example, a low level example of toxic masculinity in action, I guess, unfortunately. Mm. And um, the, I, I disagree with you in terms of who is who is more flawed as a character here, because I really have problems with um, with Summer herself. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't have issue with um, because the main friction in this film is between Tom and Summer. Tom wants a relationship, like an official relationship type thing, and Summer does not. And I have no problem with her um, not wanting to be in a relationship. That's absolutely fine. But there's all these moments throughout the film where um, she doesn't make it clear and she's quite manipulative towards him in ways that you wouldn't expect someone to be if they were very clear in what they wanted. Um, So, I mean, at the end, you've got the whole... um, inviting him to her engagement party but not telling him that it's an engagement party for instance yeah um is incredibly manipulative the way that she acts at the wedding as well um is also very very manipulative in that way yeah um so there's all these kind of moments where like she makes a very big thing about not believing in love and things like that where if you didn't believe in love and you did just believe in this kind of enjoyment for the sake of enjoyment being open with someone and then discarding it when that stops she she'd have thought she would have been more clear with him as to what her expectations were during multiple parts of the film um it's like the opposite of john ham in bridesmaids where with with john ham he's constantly clear to the point of rudeness about what he wants i really believe but i don't know how to say it without seeming like a dick so so i think we need a spin-off movie between summer and john ham oh my god that would be an awesome film. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have so little to talk about that it would just be it would just be fantastic. It would be great, and and neither of them would necessarily want to enter into a relationship with one another either. So it could just be a very awkward. Those two characters get accidentally locked in a bank vault over a weekend. <laughs> yeah, or stuck in a lift together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd I'd watch that. I would watch that. So yeah, that that's definitely a film that I would watch. John Hamm. Yeah, yeah, I I would be all over that movie if it was released. Yeah, but you're right. I think yeah, she, there's a real dick move that she kind of dances and is a bit romantic with him at the wedding, and then when he he asks her why, he calls her out about it, um, and she and her only response is because I wanted to, and you're just like that's not fair. No, no, more than that. But in a way, the whole point of the film is that um, she does change her mind. Um, and you can tell that I think I think that must have happened to the screenwriter in in real life that someone said they didn't want a relationship and then and then the next thing you know they're they're married to someone else and I think that is also it's not up there in the the romantic film cliches but it is a bit of a romantic film cliche where it's like it's kind of he's just not not that into you thing where it's like well yeah. they did they did they said they didn't want a relationship at all but really they just didn't want a relationship with you. And that that's something of a cliche in itself, and it manages to five hundred days. Someone manages to explore that, I think, without actually saying that or getting bogged down in the cliche of it, because it's also yeah. about their relationship and the ins and outs of it as well. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And often, um, like you, you gave the reference of he's just not that into you. Um, often, it is played the other way round where it's a male character that they're then trying to get into a relationship or, or make it into a more serious relationship. And yeah. it's quite good. It's quite interesting that they chose to do it this way around. And it, yeah, it's, it's done in a very realistic way. 
as well. So it does feel like these are two real people. Yeah, definitely. It feels very, very real, especially the kind of the awkward moments of it are very awkward. And none of the the parts of a relationship that are awkward are on display and are not dressed up like the kind of the bit (laughs) that always really makes me not. But the friend who's played by Jeffrey Arend, um, I really Mm -hmm. like him. I think he's a very, very funny actor. Um, If they go to the karaoke night. Um, and they're carrying him out when he's drunk and they're sort of bundling him into the taxi and he drunkly leans out and goes, he likes you, as, as if it's like <laughs> primary school. And then he's like, Tom's like shutting the door of the cab and he's got his knees up in the cab, like in a kind of fetal position. And it's a really funny, like physical moment that really tickled me. And he goes, just tell her, Tom. And he's bundling him into the cab. Going, okay, buddy. And then they, she tries to have a conversation with him about it. Where she goes, is that true about you liking me? And they're both very coy about it in a way that I think people would be in real life because it's embarrassing to try and have that conversation with someone. Whereas a lot of films are just would just be like, they would kiss at that moment. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of moment where neither of them is exactly sure what footing the other is on. And so there's that kind of calculation going on about what can we say at this moment to make sure that all opportunities are open in the future. Yeah. Um, and you can tell in their responses that they're still like it. Like Summer must suspect, you get that sense that she suspects that there's more going on. Tom Tom denies it at the time. But just there's something in the way that they have that tone together that you think, oh, yes, there is something that could happen here. And I think they both expect that to be the case off the back of it. Yeah, definitely. And then the next scene is um, her making the move on him in the copy room, actually. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Which is the first, the first kiss. And that's quite a, that's quite a good way to do it. No, no words, just kind of there. That's the, the height of office romance is getting it on in the copy room. Although nowhere I've ever worked has had a copy room. No, we've got printers out in the open. Yeah. So if I was to make out with anybody, not only would it be incredibly awkward for the two of us involved, but yeah. also incredibly awkward for everyone in our near real world vicinity because they would be able to see everything that happened yep same here our, our printer is next to the legal team as well so i'd probably get sued if i did that <laughs> yeah but that's a that's a that's a good way i think to kind of kick it off but yeah the the awkwardness of that of that moment is good and then the awkwardness of their conversation at the very end on the bench is very good as well i feel like um when they're just kind of talking they're talking to each other about the relationship and she kind of she basically tells him that he was right about love being a thing that exists but in a very kind of stilted and awkward way and then he says that i hope you're happy and she doesn't say that to him as well yeah which is interesting yeah Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing there and you do get the sense throughout the film that like summer's interest in tom kind of depends on her happiness in that situation and her interest in his life depends on her happiness within her own situation. Yeah. So, like, when she is no longer with him and has clearly found someone else, she doesn't pay him the attention that he perhaps deserves in terms of letting him know what's going on. And that's probably because she has a stability in her life and another focus point of her happiness to not need to keep him in the loop. Yeah, of course. Whereas what yeah, then and then when they're together there's some scenes where she's obviously not happy, like the the second time that they're in IKEA and then there's scenes where they're in the record shop and she's just kind of really passive and not really reacting and stuff and obviously she doesn't want to know about him then. 
And then that ends up with the scene in the bar with the fight, which is quite a well done scene as well, I think, where the like kind of jock man tries to muscle in and buy her a drink. And he's so aggressive and insulting um, that Tom punches him. And honestly, I feel like I'm a very not I'm not an aggressive person, but I would have done the same thing because it's just like it's so, yeah, so insulting and so out of nowhere that you're like, yeah, you punched that guy. Well done. Yeah, he, he is a super jerk, that fella. Yeah, um, like like one of my most hated people in cinema, I'd say, just in terms of annoyance per second of screen time. <laughs> we should get that guy in Sensations. <laughs> yes, just as a kind of throwaway baddie. Yeah, f- throwaway bad guy just for a brief scene. Yeah, he could be like the CEO of the the, the evil tobacco company that sponsors the the event or something like that. And then he, yeah. he falls down a hot dog sh- mineshaft and dies or something. He's, he's trying to create some kind of tobacco hot dog hybrid. <laughs> so you get addicted to, to hot dogs. <laughs> a hot dog you can vape. When? <laughs> vape dog. <laughs> vape dogs. You heard it here first. Yeah, I think, you know, we need to go on Dragon's Den with this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then in the lab, when they're building this, this vape dog, um, it um, becomes sentient and kills him. <laughs> like like a scene out of out of one of the alien movies. Yeah. It bursts out of the bun like <laughs> <laughs> Exactly with that noise. Um and uh, and yeah and then I think Sensations is is slowly morphing into a every genre within a single film. Yeah. So we had disaster movie, we've got romance, we've now got sci-fi horror yeah. elements. We've got father father son family drama. Oh yeah. I think what we need next is Buddy Cop. Oh, Buddy Cop. Yeah, I can I can dig that. Yeah. I know we mentioned Terry Crews as the angry chef, but he'd be great in a Buddy Cop situation. Yeah. Terry Crews would be an amazing Buddy Cop. A Buddy Cop with himself? <laughs> so he's like, he has to shoot the scenes. Yeah. Like, it's like it, Terry Crews twins. Yes, yeah. So we can actually incorporate him as the dual chefs like we did before. But 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 their dual chefs were also private eyes together. Ah, that's and good. so we've we've got a whole um, whole sort of buddy cop situation going on. Yeah, and they're investigating the um, the competition for fraud embezzlement. Someone's going to run off and take all the money at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think this is a this is this is coming together nicely with this idea. Yeah, and cruise kind and of cruise like, or give chase. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're mixing together the nice guys with the Food Network. Yeah, <laughs> I've not seen the nice guys actually. Is it any good? Oh, it's amazing. You know, I love Definitely. love me some Ryan Gosling. Um, uh, yeah, I love Ryan Gosling, and I love Shane Black, and I love Russell Crowe when he's punching people in the face. <laughs> and and this movie has all of those things in one place. Yeah, it's it's great. I highly I, recommend. I'm it. on the fence about Russell Crowe. I feel like every time I see him, he's bellowing and it's a bit exhausting. <laughs> you mean he didn't enjoy his performance in, um, in Les Miserables? I have not watched it for that exact reason. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my favorite thing about that film. Really? We should watch that actually. That counts, yeah, that counts, I think that would, be, that would, yeah, there's, there's some romance in there. I have actually been wanting to watch it cause I do enjoy it as a musical. I have seen it on stage and it's very good, but I've never watched any of the cinematic adaptations. But yeah, we should we should do that. Get some crow yeah, in there. But back to Five Hundred Days of Summer. What else have we got here? Um, can we talk about the fact that in over sixty percent of his screen time, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is wearing a hoodie with a tie? Yeah, that is outrageous. 
absolutely outrageous fashion <laughs> choice. And he's also he's also got a bit of a fetish for the old sweater vest as well. Yeah, which I think he's, is a good yeah. look. Yeah, I used to wear. It's, defi- it's definitely a, a late noughties indie look. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around at that time. I had a couple of those. I had a burgundy sweater vest, definitely, and a black one at some point as well. That was, you know, <laughs> I'm being told to stop. Oh, why do I? Why am I supposed to stop? Is that the wrong terminology? Not having one. I don't have one anymore. Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I just got told off for talking about sweater vests as if I was gonna gonna buy one, but no, I got rid of them because <laughs> it's well, not the late noughties anymore. It it is not. <laughs> Woe betide us! You, I think we should bring sweater vests back, Paddy. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm getting the stink eye from over here. Oh no! Yeah. Um, so yeah, every movie needs sweater vest dance scene to a Hall of Notes song. Yeah, that, that's one of my favourite moments in that film. That is an well, excellent I, scene. I am someone who unap- unapologetically loves the dance scene in Spider Man Three as well. I and know I feel that that is an awesome scene. I love that. This, this, and and Five Hundred Days of Summer's dance scenes are two of my favourite moments of sort of that era of movies. Yeah, when yeah, that was a good kind of a good time. Like I like I said earlier, when the perhaps there was something of a a narrowing of the gulf between the the indie sensibility and the kind of mainstream um, formulaicness of some of these films. There was a time when you could just be like, yeah, let's whack in a dance scene. Why not? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. It doesn't matter what the context is, whatever. But it's it's good, and it it's um the way that obviously he's doing that after they just have sex. It's quite. It's quite nice in a way. It's a, it's a way of um, celebrating the you know the joy of sex without being remotely pornographic, and it's yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's the the euphoria of that in a in a quite a funny and light hearted way. No, definitely, it's a it's a it's a very nice way of doing it, and it sort of lightens the tone. And that's something that's quite good about Five Hundred Days of Summer in general is that it knows when to go dark and when to go light. Yeah, I'd agree. And so, like, there's these little pockets of humour mixed with the tragedy of it, and you get sort and mixed with sort of like the the warm romance side as well. And it sort of it skirts the line between all three very well. And this is a prime example of when it reaches its possibly its funniest point. Uh, Yeah, I'd say that's the high point in terms of humour. I mean, the um, the dancing of the people around him is sort of vaguely choreographed, but some of it is a little bit off. And there a lot of them are just kind of clicking their fingers. But it's like, yeah, we'll we'll join you. We'll get on board with this. Why not? Because it's a fun dance scene, but yeah, there yeah, are yeah. there are darker moments, and I think the music has so much to do with the tone of it, and the choice of songs was very very well done, especially for the time. Because some of them are slightly older um, indie songs, like uh, um, or you know, that were a few years old, like "There Goes the Fear" by Doves and the Pixies and that kind of thing. Some newer stuff as well. Um, but when they needed a euphoric song, it was a good euphoric song from a band, say that were not that well known but well known enough that you know you might have heard of them or that like if you you know if you only listen to the charts you might not have heard of them but they're not super indie either it was all good choices like um that song sweet disposition by the temper trap i think it really helped to to get that band famous which is which is good good for them and it's it's a great song um it's like if you know if you two were coming out now and they were good and not wankers (laughs) I think that's that's a great review of them, actually. <laughs> or maybe um, maybe it's just Bono. I don't know. 
Yeah, I've I've got a I've still got a place in my heart for the Joshua Tree. Yeah, still think that's a phenomenal album. You you want to get that looked at? <laughs> got, I've got I've got a, yeah, literal place in my heart for the Joshua Tree. Um, but yeah, the cho- the choices of songs are very good, and especially like you said, the engagement party. Um, it's got that very uh, Re- that Regina Spector song. I don't know what it's called, but it's very downbeat and very kind of sorrowful and baleful. Um, and you, yeah, you feel his pain when it walks in, especially as it has that device of having left side of the screen expectations, right side of the screen reality, which I'm surprised was not copied more in romantic mm. films in the mm. wake of that, because it's a really strong and fun and enjoyable device. I mean, although you see that on, on Twitter quite a lot now and in memes quite a lot. Um, yeah. You know, it's like me doing this, me IRL, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 very cleverly done. And it, there's something very interesting about the direction in general from um from mark webb um because it does it has all these so it has like the dance scene it has that expectation reality it has those bit where it lampoons old uh black and white movies yeah um so it's all yeah it's an it's an interesting there's lots of these interesting choices in it and then it's sort of mixed with the more realistic thing so it kind of it's kind of like amelie light i suppose mm. The yeah. way that it's directed. Yeah, you could definitely say that, and it, it it actually mixes a lot of different cinematic styles in that way, and sort of jumps from one to the other whenever Mark Webb feels like it. So you've got the jumping between styles as well as the jumping between the days, but it still manages to feel like a relatively linear narrative, and it just it just about pulls that off. I think some people find the the movement between the styles a little bit disconcerting, but I I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I think it helps to keep the film fresh. And, you know, yeah, it frames it well and quite nicely in the history of cinema as well. Like especially the bit, um, there's a bit, it's almost just towards the end when the other people are talking about their relationships and the friend. It's in black and white and it's in a square. And he's like, I've been with Robin for however many years and that kind of thing, like just pieces to camera. And that, yeah, that kind of makes it enjoyable. And there's there's no explanation given for why it's jumping between styles. But I like it. No, no. I yeah, like it's, 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 it, 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 it flows fairly seamlessly between... Um, between these different styles and it's very good i just realized of course that um i mentioned spider-man 3 earlier and of course mark webb went on to direct the underwhelming amazing spider-man movies go webb go Um, yeah yeah so (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, i've not seen any of those actually the the bits that mark webb's really good at is the relationship side of things. Oh, so maybe we should watch one for this podcast then. Yeah, so the so um he's got Andrew Garfield and um who I really like. Yeah, and oh what's her name? Um from La La Land. Oh, Emma Stone. DCA, Emma Stone. Yeah, love her. Um as um as Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker. Yeah. And um, their chemistry and their direction in those bits where they're on screen together is really, really good. And it's mm. it's kind of in the rest of the film where it falls down. So, like, in terms of the script and the action sequences and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, so they're kind of a mixed bag, those movies. Um, and that, that's what he went on to do after after 500 Days of Summer. Right, and it was his directorial debut. Right? Yeah, so he, he was a music video director before that, I believe. That's right. Uh, and uh, yeah, went on to do Five Hundred Days somewhere. And I think now he's returned to that kind of more low key direction. He's got a movie that's coming out, or that's just come out, um, with Chris Evans in it. Cool. And um, they're both one. kind of like, no, I'd, I'd love to see a movie with Chris Evans and Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe a twins reboot. 
with Chris oh, Evans and Chris that Evans. Would, that would be awesome. We should, yeah, we should throw that into Sensations somewhere. They could both be kind of <laughs> bad TV presenters or uh, like ra- morning zoo radio presenters like America versus UK, some kind of British-American face-off. We could throw a Brexit joke and then a Trump joke. <laughs> I, ha- I have a real soft spot for the American Chris Evans. Yeah, me too. Um, he I was um, great. Lucas Lee and Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. The, the and... jockeyest of the evil exes. It's just and a, it, and it, outstanding he, he, performance. He's been in a load of very interesting films alongside, obviously, he's Captain America. But um, but alongside that, he's also been in, in movies like Snowpiercer, which is a very good dystopian future film. All right. Um, he's uh, been in Sunshine, which is one of my mm. favourite movies, the, the Danny Boyle sci-fi movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, I can't remember the name of it. There's this film with, with Mark Webb, um, where it's very much more low-key, dramatic. And it's nice that he's sort of choosing these different roles as well, even though he could kind of just phone it in and keep doing these high-profile action movies. Yeah. Has he ever done any like romantic stuff, Chris Evans? Because I feel like he's been in some bad romantic stuff, like um, some Nicholas Sparks type stuff. But I think I might be thinking of one of those Hemsworth guys instead. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. You know those Hemsworths they have now. Yeah, I think you can buy them in bulk, can't you? The Hemsworths. <laughs> Off of Amazon uh, that, that's, Prime. that's another person who I love is Chris Hemsworth. I think he's fantastic. Was I he the one in the Hunger much. Games or No, that was one? that was the rubbish Hemsworth. Oh, okay. There's there's three of them. There's Chris, Liam, and a third one who I've randomly come across in a horror movie here and there. Oh, okay. Um but I can't remember his name. But he's actually the oldest of the Hemsworths, but the least well known. Oh, interesting. But I think they should all do a movie together. Yep, definitely. Um, let, let's have a look at Chris Evans's history. Yeah, get it up because I, I feel like he'd be—he'd actually be really good in a Nicholas Sparks type film. Interesting. I don't think I've put any of any Nicholas Sparks stuff on there. Have you seen the Notebook? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, have, I have never seen it. Oh, really? No, and apparently it's like it's kind of divides people and it's super cheesy. But I love Ryan Gosling, and he he you know he he gets a pass. So I think it's I think it's an interesting, um, I think it's an interesting movie in general. I think like it gets a bad rep probably because it's very very romantically focused, right? And that's the thing um, we should that's the kind of thing we should be exploring on this podcast. Right? Yeah, yeah. So okay, so we've got a few movies that definitely sound like they could be romantic stuff <laughs> are you going on just yeah. title alone i'm literally going on title alone so i'm opening them up to give a little a, bit of a brief that's a risky a risky move that <laughs> for some reason vin diesel um is showing up in my sidebar at imdb and i don't quite know why but i'm loving just seeing his face appear oh um we like vin we do we love vin i'd, I'd love to meet him one day and give him a big hug so he's in a called The Nanny Diaries. Okay. I've not College graduate goes to work as a nanny for a rich New York family. Um, it stars Scarlett Johansson, Laura Linney, Paul Giamatti. Laura Linney, and your fave. somewhere, my fave, I do love Laura Linney. Somewhere in it is good old Chris Evans. It's this movie called... Um, uh, Oh, my computer is messing up something horrible here. 
it clearly uh, cannot handle all of the Chris Evans I've got on the go. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a movie about um, about this nanny called The Nanny Diaries. And his character is just called Harvard Hottie. <laughs> so I like to think that that's either um, just like a one-line character somewhere. No, or I... it's a character with just an incredibly bad name. That's got to be his actual name. Hi, I'm Harvard. Harvard Hottie. Harvard Hottie. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it's probably just um, just a throwaway role in this movie. And that sounds like the kind of romantic comedy stuff we'd normally get into. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll, um, we'll save that for when we're, when we're like four or five years down the line and we've covered every possible romantic film. And yeah, when we're yeah, really when down, we're slowly, we're down to the... Yeah. When, when we're down to the real dregs of romantic movies. Yeah. Um, he's also in a movie called The Loss of a Teardrop Diamond, which is a romantic drama. It tells the story of Fisher Willow, the disliked 1920s Memphis debutante's daughter of a plantation owner with a distaste for narrow-minded people and a penchant for shocking and insulting stuff. Cool. Um, so it sounds like a kind of real-life story. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. With, with Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Evans in. All right. A couple of decent folk in there. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, so I'm not seeing any real trash here. Oh, no. We only oh, want wait, real trash. Don't want any fake trash. Here we, here we go. I think I've got it. A movie called What's Your Number? That sounds vaguely familiar. A woman looks back at the past 19 men she's had relationships with in her life and wonders if one of them might be her one true love. Starring Anna Faris and Chris Evans. So it's a sort of high fidelity situation. Getting yeah, in touch with yeah, yeah. And I, I like Anna Faris as well. I think she's underrated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Should be in more stuff as well. She should, she should be in more stuff. Okay, I'm going to add that um, one to the list. Yeah, so we can get that on the go. That the list um, is. I imagine. Great. I imagine we will regret adding that to the list. Yep. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the list of films is growing, but our list of regrets is not is not growing at all. Not yet. No, not not yet. Until we until we watch the nanny diaries, <laughs> and then I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that does not sound good. But at the same time, it sounds oh so good. Yeah. So yeah, back to back to five hundred days of summer. What else do we have to say on this? Um, the bar jock. We talked about that guy. Um, and yeah, and then after that that scene with the bar jock, they go back, and she's all like, "Oh, I can't believe how uncool you were in there." And I'm and I'm just like, "What?" He like punched a guy who was being really insulting to him, like any any regular non cuck man would do. <laughs> so you know, and then they they kind of have a bit of a fight about the kind of not wanting the relationship, and she comes back. That's the, that's the thing that's really interesting is that she comes back and she's she's it, she's it's, she's been in the rain and she's all tousled and very cute and she's all like kind of worms her way back in but um she says he said she says that she can't give him what he wants and he sort of goes i know and accepts her and takes her back even though he knows that she doesn't really want a relationship and that that point is really really interesting because that's the point obviously where you feel like well it's obviously going to be doomed then from that point but there's still romance carrying on and you're still invested in that at that point yeah yeah um and yeah so it's quite interesting that she does go back um and that he kind of accepts it, knowing that it will all fail. Um, and one thing that I also really liked about this movie is that Chloe Grace Moretz is the voice of reason. She and is the sort great. of sage advice. 
yeah to everybody she seems to understand the situation much better than any of the adults in the film they're playing on the wii um and and he's like talking about her and she goes just because some girl likes the same bizarro crap you do doesn't mean that she's the one which is that's like the line of the film <laughs> yeah definitely so yeah that's a good that's a good bit of wisdom from her it's like you know it doesn't just because you like the same things as someone doesn't mean that you're romantically compatible yeah, exactly. I, I think that's something that's incredibly true to real life is that you find love in the unexpected places with not necessarily people that you share the same things with um, like that. You, you, there's not a tick list that you can cross off yep. and be like, oh, yes, this person likes all of these things and they look like this. Therefore, we will definitely get married. Exactly. That's, that's the high fidelity it. list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you could go out with someone whose favorite Beatle is Ringo and still have a good time. That tickled me that bit. <laughs> yeah, and there was the kind of there's good the kind of light pop culture references like that, but it wasn't overdone in that way. But there was just enough to give it that kind of indie pop sensibility and to make the tone of it fun and engaging. I, I thought. Yeah, and, and what helps is that it didn't rely on for the time modern day references. So a lot of the music in it is old. Yeah, he likes um, the Smiths. Which you, you can never trust someone who likes the Smiths too much. I know. Yeah, Morrissey, he is, he is just—he needs to just shut up and go away. Honestly, <laughs> I, I love the Smiths music. I like most of his solo music as well. But yeah, he really needs to shut the hell up at the moment. They're selling um, <laughs> they're selling tote bags that say "Shut Up Morrissey" on them, and the proceeds are going to victims of the terrible attack in Manchester. So, oh wow, you should buy one of those. It's a pretty good cause and a decent message. Yeah, you know what we could we could also do um, at some point is read Morrissey's horrible novel and then talk about it, (laughs) (laughs) which um, it won. I think it didn't win, but was maybe was nominated for the Bad Sex Award. You know, oh really? Oh, that's brilliant. There's a thing. There's a line about a bulbous salutation in it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I got told off during the creative writing course for writing too many bulbous salutations. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, so so the musical references like that are, are nice. All the pop culture stuff is good. Um, what else have I got here? Um, architecture as well. Um, there's not that. It sort of becomes apparent slowly throughout the film that the architecture in a lot of the buildings is kind of almost like a character in the film. Um, and he he wants to be an architect. He trained and it didn't work out. And eventually, he's working towards it. And it shows enough of the buildings and stuff where you think, oh, actually, that's that's kind of cool. And you get a sense of place through it but Mm. it doesn't really become a big deal but it's a subtle quite nice thing that's woven throughout it and especially as it's in it's in los angeles it doesn't feel like la at all i mean i've never never been there but the idea of la that you get from films or at least from watching as much keeping up with the kardashians as i have is that it's somewhere that you just have to drive everywhere and whereas he's on the bus all the time he's on the train all the time he's walking around under cool buildings and that's a very different side to la and it's nice and it's refreshing yeah, it's, it's it's nice the way that they do that, and you know, maybe it's just a sign of a sign of future things to come for card writers that they could not afford a vehicle of their own. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so they have to rely on, um, yeah, on buses. Have to have to rely on buses and walking in the rain. Yeah, although he is driving a car at one point, isn't he? Yep, yeah, there's one point where they are they're driving somewhere. Then again, it doesn't look like LA because there's only three lanes in the road mm. instead of the requisite six. 
See, that's when he was an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so overall, we think this is pretty good. Few small, few small niggles, but. Oh yes, can I bring up one more niggle? Of, that co- I really of course you can. Film? Yeah. And I don't know if I'm in minority here, but I really hate that the character at the end's name is Autumn. Yeah, I know. That's, I just, that's oh, cheap, isn't it? Oh, it's so cringy. Yeah. The first time you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're doing here. But yeah, when you see it again, you're like, oh, come on, really? And then, and then when that fails, he goes out with someone called Winter. Yeah. Or December. Winter or is January. coming. <laughs> so yeah that's that's kind of a cheap move at the end because it's kind of the whole point of it is that you're not supposed to believe in fate i guess but then you are yeah the, the message about the idea of fate is perhaps a bit conflicting because he believes that it's all fated but maybe it wasn't but then he's fated to be with someone else and she's fated to be with someone else and maybe that's the point that it wants you to take from it but that's not what i want to take from it what i want to take from it is just that you know you believe in love and it's complicated and scary and sometimes people align with you and sometimes they don't, I guess. So it's more of a real, it's more of a real life thing. And it's sort of, t- I guess that bit tarnishes the, the realism of it. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you, in that movie, you kind of want to go, I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. <laughs> oh, the darkness. Great band. <laughs> I loved that album when it came out. I was obsessed. Where was the darkness in the soundtrack to 500 Days of Summer? I know, right? That's yeah. what I want to know. Yeah, in the bar scene, they could have heard, Get your heads off from the wall, <laughs> Yeah. They missed a trick with that one. They, they did, yeah. I think maybe we should redub 500 Days of Summer. Yep. 500, 500 Days, days of, darkness. of Darkness. <laughs> See? And <NSYNC>. sync. <laughs> oh. Oh, have you got any more any more niggles that you wrote down, or is that it? No, that was that was the other one that I really wanted to point out. Is yeah. how much I hate that person's name. I've got one other small one, which is who has a whole wall of their house that's a giant chalkboard. Oh yeah, that's true. And that's not there for the whole film, and then suddenly it's there. It's you know, if you're going to have a may, maybe he was renting with a crazy mathematician or physicist. Yeah, he needed to like write down insane like plans in the middle of the night for an entirely different movie. So maybe the Five Hundred Days of Summer apartment was being shared with um, the apartment to some kind of horrible horror movie yeah. where he's planning some kind of disastrous robot or uh, hideous beast. Yeah, some kind of human centipede diagram drawing guy. And and they'd each get very angry because the next morning they wake up and be like, "Oh, for God's sake, George." You've, you've got rid of my architecture. Like, oh, well, come on, Tom. Last night you got rid of my horrible, foul sewer beast drawing. <laughs> yeah, but no, physicists always need those, I guess. So maybe he was renting it off of a physicist. Yeah, that's, let's go physicists. with that. Oh, and the, um, the girl who plays Autumn, just going back to that quickly, she is in a video. Um, you know the band Something Corporate? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. The video for their song, If You See Jordan. She is in that video. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was like 2003 or something. So, oh, wow. Um, I haven't seen her in anything else, but I recognized her from that video. And that is a great song. I mean, I, I love that band because they he played the piano and it was all the perfect mix of kind of pop punk, but with that kind of piano pep at the time. And that song is great. And it says, fuck you a lot. And it's, yeah, it's an enjoyable look at kind of high school animosity. 
So go, <laughs> okay. go and listen to that song and watch the video for she, that. She's been in a few things, actually. So she was in um, Parenthood and um, Almost Human, which I've not seen. I haven't seen either of those. Either of, but I've heard, yeah, she's been in a few things here and there since then. Cool. But overall, we say how many how many days would we give it out of 500? Oh. I'll, many... I'll give it... 412 I'm going to say yeah that's about right I'd say maybe maybe I'd go a little bit higher and go 421 days of summer okay so yeah you'd give it yeah give it just a little just a little extra yeah but overall yeah pretty good very good performances all round you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt that's the second film that we've talked about where he was prominent in it we like him a lot Zoe Deschanel love her she gets a pass She's got a great voice. Um, especially if you listen to any of the She and Him records, she's really, really good on those. Did you see her in New Girl at all? Yeah, I wasn't all too keen on New Girl. No, I started um, watching it and then kind of tailed off because it seemed a bit cheap. But apparently it got really good later on and sort of managed to pull itself back. But oh, they right. did manage to get Prince to go on it as well. God rest his soul. I mean, I mean, most importantly, Zoe Deschanel is in the greatest movie of all time, The Happening. I have, um, where, have I seen that? No, I don't think I've seen that. It, it is a movie by M. Night Shyamalan um, where plants start emitting pheromones that make people start to kill themselves. Okay. It also stars Marky Mark Wahlberg and John Leguizamo and is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it sounds like it. The Happening is it's, the it's, worst title for any film ever and I'm happy to go on it, the record and say that now that I'm confident we is, couldn't find a film with a worse title than that. It is absolutely amazing. So when we have the chance to go off piste and go off romantic movies, we need to watch it together because okay. it is it is one of the best worst movies I've ever seen. It's so good. Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel are both absolutely abysmal in it, but in the best possible way. Excellent. Yeah, because I feel like I have seen her in stuff where her performance hasn't been that great, but overall I think she's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been tarnished with the happening. Yeah. which is the thing I saw after 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> so it's kind of, oh, okay. I don't hate M. Night Shyamalan. I, I thought Signs was okay. Um, was that him? Yeah, I like... Yeah. Um, uh, I mean... Um, Unbra- uh, what's it called? The Sixth Sense is, is, is a yeah. kind of classic. Um, Unbreakable is actually very, very good and very, very clever. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No the thing that he did after the sixth sense um and then i saw the visit um which he released a couple of years ago and actually that's surprisingly fun in a schlocky kind of way oh okay um and i've heard that split is actually quite entertaining as well which is his most recent one with um james mcavoy oh yeah he's quite a good actor and um yeah i've heard that's i've heard that's um i'm a big fan of mcavoy i think he's great yeah um and i've heard that it's actually a very very fun movie cool we should we should check that one out but yeah overall we're giving it yeah between 410 and 420 out of five 500 days of summer yeah yeah so i just have a couple of other bits of follow-up um friend of the podcast adam maleski um this is all bridesmaids related stuff actually um adam noticed that the um the uh maya rudolph's dad in Bridesmaids is played by the comedian Franklin Ajay. Have you ever heard of him? 
No, no, I've not heard of there's him. There's a very, very... I hadn't heard of him until... Um, there's a very funny routine from Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle um, where he, he... There's this Franklin Ajay LP and it's called I'm a Comedian Seriously. And it's got like a picture, happy picture of him on the front and then a sad picture on the back. And there's a whole routine about him being as happy as he'd be if like he'd invited some friends around for some mash. It's it's a really bizarre but funny routine. And it helped to bring Franklin Ajay back into the public eye a bit. Because he's an American guy known as the jazz comedian. Because his style is, is quite out there. And he's a really, really yeah. funny and hilarious stand-up comedian. And um, he had this little role in Bridesmaids. And I hadn't, I hadn't recognised that it was him until Adam told me. So thanks, Adam, for pointing that out. Um, I also have a correction to make. In the last episode about You've Got Mail, I stated that there's a joke about a film called You've Got Mail Genitalia in The Simpsons. It was actually Family Guy. Oh, wow. I know, yeah. So it's, I didn't really want to mention it because... I feel a bit a, dirty now. I know. There was a time a when I liked reference. Family Guy. But <laughs> this is for the, the brief year or so that Family Guy was good, which was when we were in about year 10, year 11. When everyone was like, "Oh, it's going to be the new Simpsons," and it was it was genuinely sort of a little bit funny before it just went completely off the rails. I think my um, my favourite Family Guy thing is just the South Park parody of Family Guy. Yeah, which I don't know if you've seen. I think I've seen that. Where, yeah. where um, Family Guy jokes are chosen by manatees randomly choosing a selection of words to make into cutaway gags. <laughs> That's good. I have a which song for manatees. Lot. I'd say do I. Um, I mean, have you seen any recent American Dad though? No, I, I think I watched like that once when it was first on and thought it was abysmal and never watched it. Yeah, anymore. and and that's the thing is American Dad started off very very bad, but recently it's actually got very funny, um, and it's much more off the wall in a good way than American Dad, and like the stories feel that much more cohesive. And there's loads of great sort of comedic episodes with like a musical vent to them. Um, so there's one about a um, a haunted hot tub that kind of sings songs like Prince, <laughs> and and it's, it's there's genuinely loads of great episodes in it now. So I'd recommend checking out a few of those. You had um, me at haunted hot tub. Yeah, Prince just sweetened the deal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God rest soul. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of people kind of dying way too young in their early fifties, I wanted to talk about Chris Cornell just briefly because mm-hmm, that yeah. his death really, really affected me. But there is a link because um have you ever seen the film Singles? No, no, I've not seen Singles. I've never seen it either. It's from nineteen ninety two, I think. It's one of Cameron Crowe's early films and it's like a it's a sort of love letter to the Seattle scene, but apparently is a sort of grunge rom com and I always really, really wanted to watch it because when we were in about year ten, year eleven, I was I was in a really big grunge phase. I was really obsessed and um, I really, really wanted to watch it but could not find it anywhere. And obviously these days, you know, we, we have access to things. So I would like to watch that soon. Um, it's gonna it's my choice next, but I'm not going to pick that. But I think we should watch that and in sort of in tribute to Chris Cornell relatively soon because he was an amazing musician um, mm. taken way, way too soon. Yeah, definitely. He was phenomenal. And one of the best voices in rock. Yeah, and um, you into contributed to yeah a little bit. I was more of a fan of Audio Slave, which I know sounds very wrong to say, but I love I loved Audio Slave a lot. No, not at all. They're an incredible um, band, absolutely amazing. When um, we first got cable TV, um, Audio Slave's very first single had just come out, and um, every time I turned on MTV Two or Kerrang, it was on. Like that summer, like that was that was just everywhere. I absolutely, yeah, I loved it. 
and that actually was the first time I'd ever seen him as well. I hadn't heard of Soundgarden at that point. I was into like Pearl Jam, but I hadn't really done much digging into the whole grunge scene. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? And I was into Rage as well. So I was like, these guys have got a new singer. Who's he? And that was my introduction. So, yeah, and I have a very big place in my heart for Audio Slave as much as Soundgarden. And Temple of the Dog as well. That album yeah. was amazing. I've been listening to that a lot this week. It's really, yeah, it's really something. And especially as he made that in tribute to his friend who died too young, mm-hmm. that's now... Yeah, listening to that record now has a really, really strong resonance. So, yeah, I highly recommend that record, even if you're not really into sort of heavy or grunge type music. It's a very accessible and very moving rock record. It's a good one. Yeah, definitely check it out. And just the last thing is that my I have another email from my dad again in response to the bridesmaids episode. So this is obviously it's going to be like an episode out from that. It says, "Hey kids, really enjoyed the bridesmaids episode." I'm in Rob's corner on this one. I really like it. I think because Apato films and the like are often promoted on the back of the gross-out moments, I tend to have low expectations, so I found it a pleasant surprise, which is exactly what you said. Love the Terry Crews chat. He is always tremendous. Well, you're going to like sensations then. (laughs) So much male comedy, be it in films or TV, is based on exasperation, and he does it very well. I was a big fan of Everybody Hates Chris, but not many other people were. I'm not sure if you were talking about Lillian's mum or Annie's mum, but Lillian's mum is played by Lynn Marie Stewart. She has a huge place in my heart for being Charlie's mum in the best sitcom ever made, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She's also in American Graffiti, probably my favourite coming-of-age movie. Keep the good stuff coming. MJ. Thanks, Dad. Oh, brilliant. So, yeah, um, did you ever see Everybody Hates Chris? That was Chris Uh, Rock. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, actually, when it first came out. I I I remember it being quite good. good. Yeah, Yeah, maybe it just tailed off. But yeah, that was that was very very good. Um, and yeah, the thing his thing about um, male comedy being based on exasperation, I hadn't thought of that at all. But that is that is so true. Especially yeah, mm. if you look at things like when people talk about curb your enthusiasm or shows like that that are based around a character. Especially a lot of these sitcoms you have now where people are playing themselves. Um, that's all it is. It's like watch this person be hilariously exasperated, and Terry Crews does do that very very well. Yeah, that's true. So I think what we need for sensations is exasperations <laughs> it can be the sequel exasperations yeah <laughs> yeah it's just an endless parade of all the characters being exasperated at each other two sensations two exasperations that that works actually yeah, that's very <laughs> yeah. very good cool um, so on. should we get on to the sensation talk now though oh yeah of course you've got, ready you've got to delve into it yeah Actually, yeah, no. So my my idea was for a yeah a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern style thing of all the other people in the contest, which I think we already covered. So yeah, shoot. Yeah, no. So so the other thing I was thinking was to really get people on board. I think maybe we need to put together a really awesome poster for Sensations. Oh, okay. I was thinking of digging out some of my terrible Photoshop skills. You, you mean and, the um, Velocibeast? yes so um in the show notes yeah so a while ago um when uh when paddy was was forming palomino club um i decided to do my part for the effort and um create a album cover for them for an ep oh yeah you Um, weren't in the band at this point no no i wasn't in the band You, you you had um i can't remember if it was damien at the time or or someone else on bass at the yeah, we had Damien and then Stuart. Briefly. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember if it was Damien or Stuart. Um, 
but yeah um i decided to do my bit for for the effort by creating their their album art um for the velocibeast ep and the velocibeast is a velociraptor with a wildebeest's head <laughs> it's so good um, which I don't, I don't have it anywhere. So if you do have the velocity somewhere, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I'm sure I've, I, I'm certain that I've got it saved somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change all of our podcast artwork to it as well. I, okay, that's. A, I think Velocibeast cast yeah. is the way forward. But it's not just the, the beast; it's the background, it's the typography, <laughs> yeah. it's everything. You you pull out all of the graphic design stops. Yeah, you know, I I would be making the best. Um, cards. I would have. I'd be putting Joseph Gordon-Levitt out of the job. Yeah. In 2009, <laughs> if they'd seen my incredible artwork. So what I'm do, uh, what I'm planning to do is, if I if I do have any any free time over the next couple of days, is to put together um, the artwork for Sensations. And I think after that is in place, um, every everyone will flock to this project. Yeah, definitely. That might yeah, be the time that we actually do tweet at Guy Fieri because I've been too yeah. I've been too scared to do it as yet. I've mentioned his name but haven't haven't done the at yet. Yeah, so I think um I think this might be the time to really push on with this project when we see this phenomenal artwork that I'll put together. Okay. We're all I think we can all agree that we're all very, very excited about that. That is gonna be <laughs> awesome. So yeah, once you see the sensations artwork, once that hits you know, get on the retweets, get sharing, share it with your friends, print it out, put it up in your office, you know, take it to the copy room and make loads of copies and it will definitely make a, a cute girl kiss you. If you get it tattooed on you, it will bring you good luck for seven years. Yeah. Um, that, that is a scientific fact. It'll bring so. you good luck and make you a great chef as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Particularly when it comes to cooking fast food like hot dogs. Yeah. And you'll never cry chopping an onion again. Barbecues. You will become the god of barbecues. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that that was my brief yeah. update. But so I think that, yeah. I think we've no, made real progress with the Terry Crews body cop, uh, body cop chef combination. Yeah, and I think after this, I will wait, make the first sensation super cut as like a bonus episode to drop midweek between episodes, probably, because um, we'll we'll definitely have enough material for that now. So look out for that one coming. Yeah, before too long, it will purely be sensations focused. This podcast. Yeah, I mean that's that's eventually where we will move towards. Yeah, the rest of the stuff is yeah, it's just window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's my choice next. Yes. Yeah. Very what have you got excited. Planned? Well, as you know, we are going to be watching La La Land in the same room together in a couple of days' time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose that. Oh, marvelous! Easy, which is it should be interesting because it's a it's a film that I've seen more than once now, and you have not seen. So it'll be interesting no, I've, to discuss I've it not from seen that La La Land, so I'm excited to see it for the first time. Yeah, um, so yeah, I'll I'll refrain from talking about it too much, but it's a film that I I do like a lot. So no no pressure. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Yeah, I also have the sheet music book here behind me at the piano. Oh, brilliant! Um, yeah, so the music's the music's great. So yeah, next episode will be La La Land. Oh, looking forward to that one. Yeah. So if you um if you've enjoyed this podcast, obviously as we always say, um tweet us at Big Boys Don't Pod or email us at Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail dot com. Anything you wanna anything you wanna tell us at all, um any ideas for sensations, anything you wanna share, you know, um any any romance things if you want some romantic advice, maybe even, you know, we're we're here. However you wanna respond to this podcast, get on it. And please do uh rate comment and subscribe leave us an itunes review if you can because it'll help us climb up the charts 
top of the charts where we need to be where we deserve to be where sensations deserves to be yeah where sensations deserves to be don't don't make it into exasperations before it's time <laughs> yeah all right we'll see you next week to talk about la la land Alrighty. all right bye bye bye